Good afternoon and welcome to this week's Serious Security Seminar from Purdue University. Today's presenter is John Butterworth, a security researcher at the MITRE Corporation, whose current focus, uh, work focuses on UEFI and biosecurity. Welcome, John. Thank you, Joel. Hi. So, uh, as stated, uh, uh, myself and my colleagues were uh, trusted computing researchers at the MITRE Corporation. MITRE is a uh, not-for-profit uh, company, uh, federally funded research and development center. Uh, they're chartered to work in the public interest. Uh, so I guess we'll just jump right into it and the question to ask is why should anyone here care about biosecurity? Uh, well, it's the first code uh, that executes on your CPU. Uh, therefore, it's responsible for configuring a lot of uh, security related configurations such as uh, system management mode and its executable system management RAM space. Uh, and additionally, uh, almost no one is actually uh, integrity checking the BIOS, so if you're a Wiley hacker and you actually get uh, access to install a firmware rootkit, chances are you have a multi-gear uh, backdoor presence at your fingertips. Uh, additionally, from a malicious standpoint, a la the uh, Chernobyl virus that was released uh, some time ago, uh, having to recover from a uh, deleted BIOS is a very time-consuming and expensive procedure. Uh, in terms of uh, hours lost for the uh, for recovering the system, so here's our agenda uh, that we'll cover today. <clears throat> I will show you how an attacker can get into the BIOS. Uh, I will show you what an attacker can do once uh, he or she gets into the BIOS. Uh, part of this is I'm going to also uh, explain what is a uh, CRTM, a core root truster measurement, and how an attacker can take advantage of a weak. Uh, CRTM, aka mutable <coughs> CRTM, uh, to install a persistent stealth rootkit in the firmware. Uh, following that, I'm going to introduce our defensive uh, technology that we've been working on, which we call BIOS Chronomancy, and following that, conclusions in Q&A. So first, uh, I just want to uh, just address, uh, we've been working and practicing responsible disclosure. Uh, we were focusing our research primarily on a uh, Dell system. Uh, simply because they were readily available at the time and they were compatible with our hardware. So we don't want to come off like we're uh, picking on Dell, but we've been working with Dell uh, in a responsible uh, disclosure fashion. Uh, Dell is very uh, interested in uh, ensuring that their systems are very secure. So if anyone is inspired to uh, hack around in the firmware and finds a uh, firmware rootkit, contact Rick Martinez. He's the uh, security architect there. Uh, he has offered himself up as a POC. And uh, contact him and he will... Uh, uh, work with you to uh, resolve the uh, vulnerability. Uh, additionally, uh, this is our test uh, subject, aka test monkey, our Dell Latitude E6400, uh, who as you can see has sacrificed all for the greater good. Uh, we Again, we chose the uh, E6400 because uh, he was compatible with our uh, CPU debugger. Uh, the BIOS revision at the time that we started this work was BIOS revision A29, which by coincidence uh, turned out to be an extraordinarily vulnerable version of the BIOS, and I'll explain how uh, in a little while. Um, during the course of our research, uh, Dell did release uh, additional updates to the BIOS that implemented better security features. Uh, independent of our research, uh, they actually did this in accordance with the uh, what's called NIST guidance, which came out uh, during, during the course of our research. Um, and Dell uh, updated their BIOSes to meet their uh, guidance. So, uh, topic one is how uh, an attacker can get into the BIOS. Uh, the general methods 
well, the short answer really to that is just uh, bypassing access controls. I mean, it's how any attacker gets in anywhere is bypassing access controls. Uh, there are access controls specifically designed to uh, protect the BIOS from uh, erroneous or uh, malicious flashes. Uh, for example, uh, some of these access controls are pretty uh, complicated, I guess, uh, from a BIOS developer standpoint. Uh, so they are uh, so they can be misconfigured or simply not at all implemented. For example, we have BIOS control, uh, which is located on the uh, LPC bus, I think, of the uh, chipset. Uh, basically, this, without getting into too much detail, this is your first line of defense to protect the BIOS from direct overwrites. Uh, it provides system management RAM the opportunity to uh, validate whether or not the uh, person who just uh, ticked a bit zero there to uh, make the flash writable uh, is actually allowed to do so or not. So system management RAM plays a big part in protecting the uh, BIOS flash. Uh, Yuri Bulligan, um also uh, found uh, and presented similar findings to this in his CanSec uh, West 2013 uh, presentations, uh, as well as his uh, recent uh, Black Hat 2013 uh, presentation. And uh, I have the references on the last slide, and I'll make sure that those get up there for the recording, and so uh, people here can see those and follow up on those if you choose to. But uh, basically, these allow uh, for a direct overwrite to the flash. This means you can bypass firmware signing, Windows 8 Secure Boot, which is what uh, Yuri just presented at uh, Black Hat 2013. So moving, on, moving along, uh, the next very general method of uh, bypassing uh, an access control is to exploit a vulnerability. Uh, this does happen, for example, uh, for signed firmware updates. Uh, sometimes this code can be pretty complex. Uh, no one's uh, necessarily validating it, particularly at the firmware level. Uh, so there are vulnerabilities there. Uh, for example, in 2009, the Invisible Things Lab showed uh, that firmware signing could be bypassed. Uh, they did this uh, at their Black Hat presentation uh, called Attacking Intel BIOS. Uh, and more recently, uh, my colleagues and I also uh, found a vulnerability, a buffer overflow vulnerability in the uh, BIOS update process. Uh, the BIOS update process occurs in system management mode. Uh, so therefore, if you are able to take advantage of this uh, vulnerability, exploit it, um, then you can execute arbitrary code in the context of system management mode. <clears throat> uh, and by the way, as I stated earlier, uh, we notified the vendor of this uh, vulnerability a good six months prior to actually releasing it, uh, giving them, you know, we came to an agreement as to a certain amount of time as to how many, how long it would take them to uh, release patches for this and such before we would actually make this uh, public. And this affects uh, maybe, I think, about a dozen systems or so. It's public knowledge now with the uh, certain number there. So, uh, the Dell BIOS update process, just from a uh, high-level point of view, we're going to go into how, the, uh, how an exploit like this uh, can occur at the firmware level. Uh, so the Dell BIOS update from user space works like this. The user goes to uh, dell.com and downloads their uh, BIOS update process. Um, it uh, installs and executes a uh, kernel driver uh, that, uh, that takes the uh, contiguous uh, firmware image from the executable uh, breaks it up into packets, throws those packets into memory uh, with the signature of uh, $RPK once it's uh, completely packetized. Uh, it flips a bit in CMOS and then performs a soft reboot of the system. Uh, just a quick uh, um, uh, clarification, a soft reboot means that uh, power is never actually cut to the system, meaning that memory contents uh, remain constant. 
or static, I should say. Uh, therefore, upon reboot, uh, the BIOS eventually checks the CMOS bit to see if it's been flipped. Uh, if it has, then it triggers an SMI signaling to SMRIM uh, that a BIOS update is pending. Uh, the system transitions uh, to system management mode uh, and begins the uh, BIOS update process. Uh, it uh, basically scans memory, locating these uh, dollar sign RPK packets, uh, finds them, and it uh, reconstructs them into just what we, we decided to call the image reconstruction space. So once the uh, original contiguous image has been reconstructed in the space, it verifies the firmware signature for the uh, firmware signing, and assuming that checks out, then it uh, flashes out to the BIOS chip and uh, your BIOS is updated. Now, uh, this is the attack surface uh, for this attack. This is the data that the uh, attacker actually controls in this case. Uh, this definition comes from Dell's open source uh, implementation of their BIOS update as they wrote for Linux. Uh, and that's not to say that uh, open source or Linux uh, helps attackers in any way. Uh, the real so solution is to this is just to make sure you're actually validating your inputs, of course, uh, as everyone here knows. Um, but it's handy that we actually had this because it helped clarify a lot of things that we were seeing. So uh, the BIOS update process, uh, first, um, as I said earlier, it locates uh, each of these dollar sign RPK packets. When it finds one, it parses the data out of that packet. That data gets stored into a uh, SMRAM data holding space where it's going to be used for later calculations. Uh, another this is actually more of a constraint, but, but this was done for, uh, we're pretty sure this was done for uh, sanity checking and uh, debugging, but uh, the reconstruction area, and the attacker actually has to uh, deal with this, uh, the reconstruction area uh, can only be, have the payload written to if the uh, first D word there is actually George, or G-E-O-R in this case. Um, I think he hand wrote this in assembly so I don't blame him for adding a little bit of sanity checking and such in there. But this is something that the attacker is going to have to deal with uh, to make sure that George is in the location where they want to write their malicious payload. <clears throat> uh, so once the uh, RPK packet is found, and assuming that George is present, uh, the packet uh, data is copied uh, from where it's found to the relocation space. Now notice that the uh, ECX uh, register, uh, register um, which denotes the uh, number of D words that are going to be copied over, uh, is actually derived from attacker-controlled data here, uh, the packet size and the header size. The, the attacker controls that data. <clears throat> and that's part of the uh, move SD instruction. Uh, in fact, uh, the source, both the source and the destination are also derived from attacker-controlled uh, data. Uh, without checking these bounds, this is an exploitable buffer overflow. So what this basically turns into is a constraint solving problem. Uh, the copy destination, copy source, and copy size are all interdependent on one another, and these operands, if you change one, all the others change. Um, there are other constraints, of course, that the attacker has to understand and work around. Uh, for example, uh, as stated, the uh, copy destination must have GE or George written to it. Uh, the copy destination must be lower in memory uh, than the return address that you want to overflow uh, because you're going to be writing memory upwards in this upwards. Um, and uh, as we found out through a couple uh, iterations, we can't overwrite too much or else we die in that in inline memory uh, mem copy function and we just end up with a black screen until we uh, figure out how to reset the system. So 
you can brute force this once you understand how all these put together, a uh, series of uh, four loops and whatnot, and to come up with your uh, candidate evil packet. And this is the uh, candidate evil packet that we chose. First one that came up. So here's how an evil BIOS update works from the attacker's standpoint. Uh, assuming that the attacker has uh, admin access to the machine or root access, this will also work on Linux. Um, it's able to uh, install an evil kernel driver, although in Linux you can just use IOPL to, to uh, up his uh, privileges so he doesn't actually need to do this as a kernel driver, but that's an aside. He uh, writes a uh, slice of memory uh, with George uh, to the uh, desired destination address. Uh, then he writes his evil packet containing his uh, malicious uh, payload. Uh, as well as a num as well as a uh, as well as shell code that he's going to want to start executing because he wants to overflow that return address, of course. So it jumps into a shell code so he can own EIP. Uh, after that, uh, just like in the uh, known good version, he flips that bit in CMOS and then performs a soft reboot. On reboot, of course, uh, eventually the uh, system management BIOS update routine. Nothing's actually been uh, compromised at this point, so it's just normal, healthy, pristine code. Uh, starts the uh, update process. Uh, it starts scanning for these uh, dollar sign RPK packets. Uh, it finds your the attacker's malicious uh, dollar sign RPK packets. Uh, when it copies it over, that's when all hell breaks loose. You overflow the image reconstruction space from the uh, desired destination all the way up through into system management RAM, which you can do because the uh, process BIOS update process is actually executing in system management mode context, so you can overwrite RAM there, and you end up overflowing your return address, thus owning EIP. Thus, the attacker is able to do pretty much whatever he wants, whatever he wants, but for, uh, for example purposes for here, he would target the uh, BIOS flash chip to install a uh, persistent rootkit. I have a Video here. Okay, so <clears throat> sorry about that. So what we have here is a BIOS revision A31. This has firmware updates installed and activated. We're just going to go into BIOS setup. Just to prove this fact, uh, signed firmware update enabled. Now we're just going to reboot the system. Uh, the attacker is going to uh, execute his uh, evil binary, and we'll see what happens. And technically, if uh, that BIOS control bit that I was talking about earlier, if uh, the flash wasn't protected from direct overwrites, technically the attacker wouldn't even have to manipulate and go through all this trouble to overwrite the flash. You could just do it directly from from uh, from here via kernel driver, just a privileged app of some sort. So we've written the uh, malicious uh, dollar sign RPK uh, as well as 
the shell code and everything to uh, to memory. Uh, we've overflowed the buffer, and uh, just uh, just for you know benign proof of concept, we're just showing that uh, we found a uh, print to screen function in the uh, SMRAM BIOS that you know prints out stuff like Flash BIOS update program uh, and such, and we just utilize that just to uh, put in our own little message. So uh, now that uh, you can see that there are ways an attacker can actually get into the firmware, um, I'm going to show you what an attacker can do uh, once they do get into the firmware. Uh, we're also going to talk about what is a uh, core root of trust for measurement and how does its uh, weakness uh, mutability uh, open the door for an attacker to establish a persistent stealth root kit. Now, technically, <clears throat> uh, by the book, um, modifying the firmware uh, is something that should actually be detected. Uh, the, uh, there's, TP, there's trusted computing technologies, assuming you have your TPM turned on and you're actually looking at your uh, PCR values, uh, but the trusted computing group in their PC client specification uh, defines a, uh, a number of critical boot time components which must be measured in order to establish a uh, trusted system. Uh, each of these, uh, the measurement of uh, these components is uh, as a whole referred to as the uh, static root of trust for measurement. Static because it's assumed that you're measuring the same thing every single time the measurement is taken. Thus you should see the same hash values when you dump your PCR sets and I'll explain what those are coming up. Um, so each component is measured, the idea is that each component is measured prior before handing off to that next component. Thus you're sort of forming a chain of trust if you will. Um, this discussion pertains specifically to that very first measurement which takes place uh, called the core root of trust, so it sort of forms the anchor as you might see it uh, written. Uh, it's responsible for uh, measuring itself as well as the BIOS and then handing off control to, well, what comes next, the MBR I suppose. So in theory, uh, assuming that this is uh, turned on and you're actually observing uh, the measurement of these uh, critical boot time components, if someone were to install like a boot kit or a firmware virus or just anything uh, like that, you should, uh, you should actually see a change that's detectable. However, I'm going to show you that that's not really true. Uh, first, a little bit of uh, terminology, sorry. Uh, we have the Trusted Platform Module, the TPM. It's a uh, security chip located on the motherboard. Uh, has a lot of different functions. Uh, most uh, pertinent to this discussion are its ability to provide a signed set of its uh, current PCR set. Uh, it can also provide uh, signed tick stamps, which uh, we'll talk about later uh, when I talk about the, uh, the actual uh, measurement technique that we can use to uh, detect these kinds of uh, firmware viruses. Uh, next, we have the uh, platform configuration registers, PCRs. These are resident on the TPM chip itself. Uh, they're 20-byte hashes. Uh, each of these hashes is in intended to represent a uh, measurement of one of these uh, boot time components defined by the TCG. Uh, they are set to zero on reboot. Uh, they can only be modified with an extend function. Now, an extend function uh, means that uh, it's the uh, current PCR, it's the SHA-1 value of the current PCR value uh, concatenated with the uh, SHA-1 value of the measurement of the uh, Bhutan component that you just took. So here's just an uh, example of a measured boot, which is the same thing as the SRTM. It's sort of synonymous. It's just a uh, uh, different, different term. Um, <clears throat> so we see here that the uh, BIOS measures itself and extends that in the BIOS, excuse me, the CRTM measures itself and then it measures the BIOS and then it extends that value uh, to the TPM PCR0. The, remainder, the remaining 
measurements are beyond the scope of this discussion. I'm just going to put them here for reference. Uh, people can look into them if they wish. Uh, and just to uh, show how our work differs from work in the past, uh, <clears throat> past uh, trusted computing researchers like Tarnovsky have uh, actually attacked the TPM itself, like he used an electron microscope to actually try to get the uh, keys and such out of the uh, trusted key store of the TPM. Uh, we're not attacking the TPM technically, we're actually attacking the vendor implementation of the uh, static root of trust for measurement. Um, now, uh, to uh, try to make this a little bit less abstract, um, let's just uh, kind of uh, see like where the uh, CRTM is located, just kind of like get get a little bit lower level just to, just like I said, just to make this a little bit less abstract. So here we have the Q45 Express chipset. This is the chipset that's present on the E6400. Looks similar to uh, newer chipsets too. It contains a processor. Uh, memory controller hub that controls I.O. of course to system RAM and a uh, ICH, an I.O. controller hub which controls I.O. to a number of devices but most specifically to this conversation uh, the SPI flash which is where the BIOS flash chip lives and the uh, TPM. So it's going to simplify this to include just those uh, components only. So uh, when the BIOS so when you power on the system, the BIOS starts executing, uh, performs various like generic uh, system configurations, uh, chipset configurations and such, uh, specific to the Dell BIOS now. It begins processing a number of uh, modules. Uh, some of these modules are completely benign. Like they contain like the, uh, the splash screen image, the bitmap image that you see like whenever you power on your system, that's one of them. Uh, others uh, contain much more important code such as that which instantiates uh, system management mode and it's, and it's executable system management RAM space. And of course, the uh, core root of trust for measurement. So the Dell uh, implements uh, the CRTM on the Dell executes, uh, measures what it's going to measure, and I'll talk specifically about what it does measure uh, coming up in a little bit, and extends that measurement to PCR0. First though, I just want to talk about some uh, general problems with relying on uh, PCR hashes as indicators of a healthy system, a trustworthy system. Um, for example, uh, there are no golden PCRs golden sets of PCRs provided by the OEM manufacturers. What this means is that the owner of the system has to read their own PCR values and determine on their own whether or not these values can even be trusted to begin with. Um, <clears throat> uh, there's no description uh, provided by the OEM as to what exactly was measured uh, to create uh, these hashes that you see in the PCR registers, uh, meaning that it's impossible for a, for a third party or, or for the owner really to go in and verify uh, that, that the values that they read from the PCR values are what they actually should be reading. They can't, verif they can't verify. Um, in our research, we were surprised to find that homogeneous systems uh, can actually have different PCR sets. And by homogeneous, I mean exact same uh, hardware configuration, same model, same BIOS revision, uh, everything else all being equal. Uh, some of them had different PCR sets, which was unexpected and a little bit strange, <clears throat> a little bit unreliable. Um, we were also surprised to see duplicative uh, PCR values 
uh, in our uh, dumped PCR sets. Uh, for example, uh, as you can see here, indexes 1, 2, and 3 all actually have the exact same SHA hash. <clears throat> what this basically tells you is that no new information was measured by the CRTM, or by the SRTM, I should say, and inserted into those PCRs. Uh, it also technically means uh, that, this, uh, that this SRTM is not following the uh, specs specifications outlined by the uh, Trusted Computing Group. So, now on to specifically what the uh, E6400 is measuring. This is displayed uh, in the image at the top. Uh, the, uh, this is the BIOS, uh, as well as you can see the uh, OEM CRTM, that's actually a typo. <clears throat> uh, the uh, gray slices are actually what is being measured by the CRTM. So as you can see, it's not much. Uh, looking at this picture, you would uh, correctly surmise that it's pretty trivial to uh, overwrite arbitrary bytes in this BIOS and not trigger any changes in the PCR0 values. And if you did that, you would find the exact same findings that Yuri finded with his uh, CANSEC West 2013 presentation. Uh, he did that to his uh, ASUS motherboard and uh, found, found the same results. Uh, however, um, <clears throat> this slide's a bit of a red herring. The real problem is not that they're uh, measuring so little of the uh, CRTM. The real problem is the fact that the CRTM itself is mutable and can be modified by an attacker who gets access to the firmware. Uh, <clears throat> because it's mutable, uh, it's vulnerable to your uh, pretty standard run-of-the-mill uh, replay attack, uh, where, the, uh, where if the attacker is able to modify the BIOS, uh, he can uh, overwrite the CRTM, modify the CRTM to prevent, to observe uh, the actual known good hash that's measured by the good CRTM, uh, and of course record that, and then prevent the CRTM from executing, and then pass that known good hash to the TPM to extend onto PCR0, thus providing the expected good value expected by the owner of the system who's actually going to be looking at this, maybe. Um, thus making it appear that the BIOS is pristine and unmodified when in fact you have a firmware rootkit uh, on, your, on your system. <clears throat> and this I want to point out uh, because of the last slide I mentioned that there was a red herring that they were measuring so little. It doesn't matter how much of the BIOS they're measuring in this case. If they were measuring the entire BIOS, this attack would still work. Um, it's just an unfortunate coincidence that they're also measuring so little. So, let's talk about some uh, really bad things uh, that we created as a proof of concept just to uh, make the point known that uh, this kind of stuff can happen. Uh, so we created a couple of uh, proof of concept firmware rootkits. Um, each is installed programmatically. You don't have to tear apart the laptop like you saw in the uh, E6400 picture. Um, we created what we call the, uh, the tick and the flea. Uh, the tick is a persistent stealth malware uh, it achieves stealth by performing that replay attack uh, that I uh, just described, uh, thus evading detection uh, by forging the PCRs. And once it's uh, done that, it's able to modify any other portion of the BIOS, such as uh, inserting itself into SM RAM and such, without being detected by normal, by current technologies. Uh, the flea has all the same uh, stealth and persistence capabilities as the tick. Uh, however, it's also able to uh, persist uh, beyond flash updates. So the takeaway here is basically that because of the tick, you can't necessarily trust the TPM. Uh, you can't rely on the TPM to save you, but uh, because of the flea, you also can't really rely on reflashing your BIOS to save you either.
So here's just a uh, quick recap of how a normal uh, PCR0 measurement occurs. Uh, the uh, CRTM executes, performs uh, measures itself in the BIOS, uh, taking that hash and extends it onto TPM uh, to extend on a PCR0. Now when we have the tick installed, uh, the tick, of course, prevents uh, the, uh, the CRTM uh, from executing, uh, takes its known good uh, hash to extend onto PCR0 with, thus providing the exact same hash that's expected. And I have another video. I wish I could do live demos of this, but there's no way my company would let me travel with kits. <clears throat> so this is a uh, this is a pristine unmodified system. Um, I hope you saw it, but that was the uh, normal Dell splash screen. Uh, that's uh, technically that's going to be our only indicator that this system has not been tampered with. So first, what we're going to do, actually, first let me just explain our little layout here. In the upper right, we have our debug view output, which is going to print uh, out our uh, kernel uh, debug output. We're going to execute our open TPM driver, which was written by Corey, one of my colleagues, uh, to dump our PCR values. We're going to grab PCR zero. We're going to store it in a text file that's on the bottom right. Now we're going to install what we refer to as a, a naive rootkit. Uh, this naive rootkit is one which can be trivially, trivially detected by simply observing the PCRs. In other words, it doesn't have any stealth capabilities whatsoever. So what we're going to do, what it's going to do, is uh, modify the splash screen. Um, <clears throat> because the splash screen, as I stated, is one of those modules that actually is being measured by the uh, core root of trust for measurement uh, on this system specifically. So what we expect to see when we log in and uh, run our open TPM driver to dump our PCR set uh, is that the uh, PCR0 value should be different from the original known good uh, PCR0 value. So we're grabbing a PCR0 value now. I'm just going to pause real quick because it goes by pretty quick. But you can see that this hash does not match the original hash. So yes, this is a naive, easily detected uh, firmware rootkit. Now we're going to install the tick, which has that stealth capability. And the tick is also going to um, install a splash screen. Uh, which also, according, you know, as, as we've seen, should change that value in PCR0. But, of course, what we expect to see is that the uh, PCR0 value uh, will, in fact, uh, remain, uh, match, excuse me, the, uh, the known good uh, PCR0 value that we took, that we measured the first time of the pristine version. Again, run OpenTPM. And by the way, we released the source code to OpenTPM, and I have a link to that too. If you guys, if anyone here wants to start playing around with their uh, PCR sites, at least you can dump them and take a look sometime. It's a uh, pretty cool. It's open source, and so you have the source code. So yes, as we expected, uh, the uh, the uh, hash, the PCR zero hash produced by the ticks uh, replay forgery, 
um, does match, in fact, the, uh, the known good, the expected uh, good value. And now I'm going to uh, talk about the flea, as I mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, it has the exact same stealth capabilities of the tick. Uh, however, it's also achieved persistence beyond uh, BIOS reflashes. <clears throat> so it does this by uh, hooking the uh, update process in uh, system management mode. Uh, so therefore, of course, it senses when there's a BIOS update coming. Um, it clones itself into the uh, constructed uh, firmware image, at which point it simply permits the uh, update process to continue and the tick and the flea, excuse me, has uh, persisted to the next uh, BIOS revision. So what we have here is a uh, BIOS revision A29, very vulnerable version. The flea is actually already installed. Just uh, in the interest of saving time, the flea is already present on this, so I'm not going to show the uh, stealth capabilities of the flea because it's the exact same as the tick. Uh, but what I am going to show is how it can persist from one BIOS revision to another. So currently we're at BIOS revision A29. And we're just going to upgrade that. We're going to be good doobies and upgrade our uh, BIOS because Dell has released a... Uh, new version that has uh, signed firmware updates and all kinds of good uh, security features. And this is just uh, Dell's uh, standard update utility. There's a lot more code changed for this uh, firmware rootkit than there was for the others, which is why it has to actually erase and overwrite a lot more of the flash to actually perform the installation. But it's still only 500 and something bytes. It's reasonably small. So. We've updated our BIOS to BIOS revision A30, and the uh, splash screen, hopefully you notice that it's changed, and now the flea is saying, I live. The flea has persisted to the next BIOS revision. So the next question to ask is, what can possibly defend against uh, such uh, stealth rootkits? Well, we created a BIOS chronomancy. Uh, which is our firmware implementation of uh, what's called timing-based attestation. Uh, the general idea behind timing-based attestation is to build your software so that if it's modified, it runs slower. And um, it uses a timing side channel uh, to uh, provide constant run times in the absence of an attacker and therefore increased run times in the presence of an attacker. Uh, the TPM uh, chip, uh, we use the TPM uh, chip, it provides tick stamps and actually has a nice little uh, parallel non-CPU uh, connected uh, clock which uh, provides signed tick stamps so it's uh, pretty reliable and trustworthy for, the, for this service. Uh, the idea of uh, BIOS chronomancy is it's supposed to replace only that core root of trust for measurement, that first measurement that measures itself in the BIOS and no other parts of the uh, static root of trust for measurement. Uh, there's a lot of work 
um, in this space. So I'm just going to throw out a couple references. Uh, there's a lot of work out of Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, Sashadri has written a couple papers on this. Uh, also here at Purdue, uh, Rick Cannell uh, did some, uh, some work about establishing the genuinity of remote uh, computer systems. And uh, he's using timing to basically determine whether or not a system is a, a native client or a uh, not a virtual machine, but um, a virtual, uh, I, mean, I have to say virtualized and just leave it at that, but that's not the word. Um, <clears throat> simulated machine, that's not the word either, sorry. Um, <clears throat> so, BIOS Cornomancy has two basic components. It has a self-check looping construct. Uh, this is the self-measurement, and this is what really uh, will add to the measurement times. This is where you'll see the greatest increase in measurement times if an attacker is trying to hide in the presence of uh, BIOS chronomancy. And then we have the linear sweeps, and this is what's going to measure the rest of the stuff, like the BIOS, your option ROMs, and any other parts of the system that you want to measure, as specified by the uh, TCG. Um, the self-check has uh, some basic requirements. It's uh, required, of course, to read its own data, its own executable binary, uh, its own code. Um, it also has to uh, read the location of that data as well as the uh, instruction pointer that's actually doing the reading uh, because the location in this case is just as important to keep track of as the actual data that you're reading. Uh, there's also a nonce and a pseudo-random number which is used uh, to produce a, a pseudo-random walk through those blocks which I'll show you uh, shortly. And um, it does all this millions of times because when you uh, modify and add an instruction and then re-execute that instruction, say, millions of times, the time adds up. Uh, so we have a, so each of these blocks um, contains uh, data like this uh, that has to be accounted for. So we have our nonce, our data pointer, our dereference data pointer, our uh, instruction pointer, all, all mixed in uh, that modify the checksum as the uh, measurement uh, continues. Um, each of these blocks differs uh, slightly from one another. Uh, they're not all identical, like we change the order of operations and such, uh, just so that the attacker can't really modify just one of them and sort of like fake the attack. If he modifies one, he has to modify all the blocks, is the general idea behind that. So we have, uh, so as I said, we take a pseudo-random walk based on that nonce. Um, so basically, we just iterate through these loops in just random, pseudo-random fashion, uh, say a million times. We've actually done experiments, which I'll show you the results for, at uh, 625,000 times, 1.25 million times, and 2.5 million times. And uh, pretty much anything over 625,000 times is, uh, is a pretty measurable, pretty measurable difference. So um, the other component of BIOS chronomancy is the linear sweeps. As I stated, this, uh, this just... Uh, executes and measures specifically those uh, ranges like uh, system management RAM, uh, the BIOS, of course, and other parts, other uh, security important uh, parts that need to be measured. Uh, option ROMs and such defined by the TCG is one of those critical boot time components. So uh, just to uh, hopefully illustrate this further, uh, let's take an example from, a, uh, from an attacker. Let's say the attacker wants to install a tick or a flea on the BIOS. So we have our uh, little red code here, which just didn't says, you know, the attacker has uh, modified the BIOS flash chip. He's gotten access to it. He has this code there. But he knows that there is a BIOS chronomancy code here. So he knows that if he does nothing, he's going to be trivially detected 
uh, by the uh, linear sweeps. When these linear sweeps run and uh, measure the BIOS, if the attacker does nothing, isn't able to get out of the way or modify the uh, linear sweeps at all, he's going to be trivially detected. So the attacker wants to modify those linear sweeps. So he uh, basically, in a pseudocode fashion, you know, if you are measuring uh, my hook location, you know, my my location in the BIOS, you know, here substituting uh, good bytes that you expect to see uh, from a stash, which uh, you know the attacker knows that they aren't measuring from measuring. Uh, however, uh, knowing that there is uh, the looping construct, because he's modified the uh, linear measurement code, and he knows that these looping constructs serve to measure the entirety of this code here, from the uh, linear measurements all the way up to up to the beginning of the BIOS chronomancy. Because of that, uh, he also has to forge every single one of these blocks. This is where the time really starts to add up. Even if he's just throwing in a couple instructions in there, if you know, if you're looking at my data pointer, if you're you know, if you're trying to read my address where I'm at, and I'm trying to hide, um, substitute in this good data. When you iterate over this a million times, um, you'll see that the uh, that it really it adds up to a milliseconds, which is sounds slow to us, or sounds fast to us rather, but to a CPU that's a very slow amount of time. So we have <clears throat> uh, we have uh, performed some experiments uh, on 18 Dell Latitude E6400 laptops uh, running uh, in these loop configurations of 625,000, uh, 1.25 million, and 2.5 million. Um, <clears throat> The, uh, the, experiments were, the experiments were run in two parts. Uh, we have a clean uh, BIOS configuration, uh, BIOS chronomancy uh, configuration that just measures itself and you know, produces its known good uh, timestamps. And then we have a bare minimum attacker. And we really tried to spot the attacker every advantage possible. We played around with the caching to make sure that there were no cache collisions uh, from where he was storing uh, his code as well as where he was accessing his, uh, his uh, forged, his uh, stashes from. Um, also, uh, not to get too much into it, but the, uh, some of those modules that I was talking about, if you modify them, they'll change the size. And if uh, you change the size on that, then you have to, that actually adds a lot of time in the linear sweeps. So we made sure that the uh, known good code actually had the exact same size of the uh, modules so that the, uh, so that the overhead on both would be equal in that respect. Uh, so basically, uh, what we have here as a result, uh, you can see that the uh, in some instances here, instances here, the attacker actually wins. Uh, some of these uh, outliers down low where the uh, code for some reason ran a little bit faster uh, than at other times. And here, uh, you'll see that sometimes the code ran a little bit faster, um, slower, uh, slower rather, for the, uh, for the known good. And there's an overlap there. So sometimes the attacker can, escape, uh, can evade detection uh, in this in this respect, um, but over multiple uh, reboots and executions and measurements and such, I think that you'll find that the uh, even even in that case where the attacker wins once in a while, chances are you're still going to see that there are enough anomalies of uh, different unexpected timing uh, amounts that, that you will still actually detect the attacker. Um, where it really starts to uh, pay off is when you increase to a 1.25 uh, million self-check iterations. Um, this in this, the attacker doesn't even get close. And the difference between uh, this, uh, the known good BIOS chronomancy code and the, uh, the attacker forged value is about 32 milliseconds. Actually, in the previous one, it was only 4.8 milliseconds, which I guess is cutting it a little bit close. But 32 milliseconds is 
and you know, for from the standpoint of a two gigahertz or more CPU, is that's a lot of time. And 2.5 million self-check iterations, just to uh, uh, ram it home even more, the difference between the two is about 128 milliseconds. Now, um, of course, it's not perfect. Uh, there are some, uh, uh, there are Toctow attacks, time of check, time of use. Uh, this means that the attacker is somehow aware beforehand uh, that a measurement is about to occur. Uh, it's able to remove itself uh, from the BIOS, uh, like say jumping onto the uh, gigabit Ethernet LAN or some other uh, external uh, device that has its own CPU so that it can execute code and move itself back at some point. Uh, it gets out of the way, uh, BIOS Chronomancy starts its measurements, the self-check completes, all the measurements are done, and then the attacker uh, moves itself at some point back into, into the BIOS, thus uh, maintaining its presence even though Timing-based attestation uh, thinks that uh, everything's clean and good. Uh, the timing, the timing measurements check out okay, as well as the checksum also checks out okay. So, uh, in conclusion, uh, it's uh, best to assume that attackers can get into your firmware. Uh, bad things can happen when an attacker gets into your firmware. Um, I don't think that. People should blindly trust uh, com trusted computing implementations, as well as I'd like to see uh, more openness from the OEMs too, and actually sharing uh, with uh, many with with industry, I guess, with the rest of industry, as to what exactly is being measured, so that people can go in and maybe verify these measurements and such. Um, you know, I, th I think we've uh, we try to show that as long as this t kind of stuff is possible, even if it's not exactly commonplace, um, you can't entirely rely on trusting uh, your uh, core root of trust or measurement in your trusted community technologies. Um, I mean, right now this stuff's pretty difficult, but in five years, who knows, this might even be easy. It's just the way people, you know, evolve. Um, <clears throat> uh, to the uh, argument as to uh, people should use uh, TXT uh, technology, um, Invisible Things Lab has actually shown that TXT in a dynamic uh, root of trust can actually depend on the static root of trust uh, values uh, derived from, uh, from the SRTM. Um, and I guess I actually have enough time to talk about uh, another uh, tool uh, that we created sort of as an offshoot of this. Uh, as I was talking about earlier with those access controls, uh, we released a uh, binary that's free for use. Uh, anyone can downloading it can download it. Here's the uh, here, the link is here. Uh, the only thing we ask in return is uh, to share the uh, the data that it collects with us. Uh, the data that it collects is just the uh, uh, it's um, the uh, BIOS control settings and other uh, firmware settings. So basically, what we're doing is we're researchers. And we're trying to uh, create our next research paper, which is trying to figure out how prevalent is this problem in industry of having vulnerable firmware. So we want to say, you know, X percentage of systems have the BIOS control wide open, meaning that the uh, flash chip is directly uh, vulnerable to direct overwrites and such like that. So the data collected pertains specifically to BIOS control, protection range registers, um, it does collect the host name of your CPU, but you can uh, use an anonymizer script to remove that kind of stuff. Um, 
we provide that just because we've been licensing uh, this out to uh, to uh, well companies um, in industry who are using this just to kind of get an idea of what uh, their you know what what their uh, firmware vulnerability uh, standpoint looks like you know <clears throat> uh, if you are if anyone watching this is uh, working for a company that's developing a uh, like security tool uh, or something like that uh, you you can probably actually obtain the source code for this uh, for the free for use right now it's just the binaries so we have 64-bit and 32-bit uh, as well uh, right now it's just Windows but we're going to be releasing a uh, Linux um, application uh, binary as well too that will do this um, let me make sure so if anyone here has any questions um, you can either ask now or uh, these are uh, my, my this is my email address as well as my uh, colleagues email addresses specifically for the uh, for the Copernicus tool if you have any uh, inquiries about that you can uh, send an email to that one specifically we all check that um, Let's see if you, if anyone here wants to learn more about TPM's reverse engineering, uh, x86 architecture, um, basically like uh, really low-level firmware stuff, um, not just low-level firmware, but mostly. Um, OpenSecurityTraining.org, uh, excuse me, OpenSecurityTraining.info, um, training.html. Uh, we have, uh, we offer these. Uh, Basically, you can just download the courses for free, all the information is for free. If you happen to know about this stuff, you can take the courses and go teach it yourself, too. Um, let's see. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Corey wrote that open TPM driver, which allows you to uh, download and uh, check out your PCR sets. Uh, so you can download the source for that. You can um, play around with that, too, if you want. That's at uh, code.google.com uh, slash p slash open TPM. And let's just make sure that the references get also put on the video. So if anyone also wants to follow up with that. And I think I actually finished 10 minutes early, which is good because sometimes this thing goes like 90 minutes. So I had to chop a lot because I was worried about time. So um, this this was, this uh, presentation that you just saw was uh, adapted from our uh, Black Hat 2013 presentation just this past, uh, just this, uh, the, the last month uh, that we presented this at. So modified slightly for uh, for editing for time. Um, I think this boat. Well, that's it. Thank you. If anyone has any questions, I'll stick around for a little bit. Any inquiries?